Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat. We've got a great show for you today. We'll be talking about some of the best fits for coaching vacancies around the league and preview Game 1 of Heat Celtics tonight. But we have to start with the Nuggets forcing a Game 7 against the Clippers. All of that and more on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. David, somehow we're here again after they were down 3-1, just like they were against the Jazz in round one. The Nuggets rallied back against the Clippers. Game seven is tonight. My question to you, is this to the Nuggets' credit or to the Clippers' blame for not being able to close this team out? Wes, I've got such a hot take on this. I think it's both. I, I, I mean, it's been, the reality is that Look, the, the Clippers have absolutely screwed the pooch on this. Uh, we talked about this last week, whether or not they could have, continue to turn it on as necessary. They have the, that flip-the-switch capacity. At the same time, they blew off the Denver Nuggets, who were actually pretty damn good. And, and we shouldn't be surprised at that. They've shown over the course of the last couple seasons that they've got the depth, they've got the talent, they've got the ability to put up points in a hurry, and they've committed to defense in a way that maybe – we have not seen since they've entered the Orlando bubble. It's been very intermittent on that point, but the Clippers have absolutely screwed up, but listen, the Nuggets are good, and I think that's fair to say you can give credit to the Nuggets without taking away the fact that the Clippers have also blown their opportunities to advance early on. We have questions like, the Clippers were my early season favorite to advance to the NBA Finals. I absolutely do not feel comfortable about that. I thought that they had the talent, the depth, the ability to, to defend at a high level that would propel them into the NBA Finals, but I am not confident about any of that moving forward. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure if it's Doc Rivers coaching. I'm not sure if it's the lack of offense from certain players. Lou Williams has been noticeably absent in, in the finals or the semifinals here. So there's a lot going on there, and I, I think there's some blame to be laid at the Clippers' feet. At the same time, Denver has been really good. I think it's a fair point. I I think, look, the Clippers are a good basketball team, and they needed one more game to close this team out. Despite what the Nuggets are doing well, they should have done that, right? Like, the Nuggets could—but I I agree with you. I think think Denver's the deepest team in the playoffs right now. I think—or certainly, at least in the Western Conference. I always thought that the Clippers' depth was overstated. I just didn't think that they were as deep as people thought they were. Lou Williams has— a history other than last season David has a history of not showing up in the postseason and it's just because players like him don't typically play well in the postseason undersized players who, who can get uh, abused defensively those aren't typically postgame uh, postseason players and and I just I, I don't know where I'll, like what was Reggie Jackson supposed to be the depth like I don't know what the depth was that we kept talking about and against a guy like Nikola Jokic even their centers, which is kind of the weak spot in that team anyway. I know Montrose Harrell is going to win sixth man of the year. I understand that they like Zubac and all these things, but we're not talking about star players at that position by any stretch. And against a guy like Jokic, he's really been able to, to sort of highlight that weakness in their team. And when he gets out there on the perimeter, like Zubac and Harrell can't keep up with him. He can, he can uh, bully Harrell in the post. He can get around Zubac if Zubac tries to close out on him. I mean, he just has, a, he has the answer for either one of those guys. Zubac has probably done the best job against him, but he can't help, like, you can't play him 40 minutes because he'll foul out before that. And so I, I just, and, and, you, know, you could switch Paul George onto him as, as, like they have, but then Jokic takes Paul George into the post, 
and just shoots over him. And when he is shooting like this, and now he's got he's sort of embraced this, hey, I'm the best player on the floor mentality, and he's okay going out there and scoring 30 points a game now. Uh, he's sort of this evolved Marcus Gasol version. And when he's on a roll like that, Denver is really hard to beat. And they're, they're doing enough defensively where um, I think they've got enough guys on the wing to throw at guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, despite both of those guys having big game sixes. Uh, I, I think that this is pretty even going into game seven, David, honestly. And we're, we're still, we're, we're like, what, one Jamal Murray 50-point flurry away from Denver going to the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I, I'm at a point now where I can't trust the Clippers at all, and I certainly don't trust them in the Game 7. I think they've fallen apart. I don't know that they have the ability to respond back. Uh, maybe that's crazy considering the fact that there are players and coaches there that have championship experience, but I don't know how you can lose two games in a row like this. I, I just don't see how you, you can absolutely blow this opportunity to advance so easily. And again, that's not to take away from what Denver has done, but you have to look internally and recognize that you've made mistakes, and I don't know how they respond from that. So yeah. if I had to make a pick, it's Denver. I, 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 was, I was going to ask you this. Does Denver's well, wait, depth... Wait. I, Go ahead. No, I, I, to, to your point, I do think that the Clippers have kind of, they, they don't seem, they seem so disjointed so often, which seems yeah. so weird because Kawhi can just so easily get to his spot whenever he wants, and they have that Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell pick and roll. It's, why does this offense look disjointed as much as it does? I, I'm like, I don't trust the Clippers, in, and I know they have this, this switch that they can flip and all those things, and when they get on a roll, they, they really do get on a roll. But I don't trust Kawhi on this Clippers team the same way I trusted Kawhi on the Raptors last year. The Raptors just seem so much cleaner. They just seem to have an offensive identity that this Clippers team doesn't have. And I'll go back to this again. I was always pro-Lakers over pro-Clippers because I think that the Lakers stars and LeBron and Anthony Davis make each other better. They have a symbiotic relationship that, that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just don't share. They don't make each other better. It is more of a my turn, your turn type of situation. And that, I think, leads to some of that disjointedness. And, I, and the one way to beat Jokic is to just abuse him and pick and roll. We know that that's the way. That's how Utah uh, um, took advantage of him. And I know that Michael Malone, who's done a great job in these playoffs, by the way, has found ways to, to make up for that by having Jokic uh, come up to the point of the screen instead of dropping back and all these things. But you have some of the, you have the best pick and roll pair, one of them in the league with Lou Williams and Montrezl Hale. Why not run that over and over again against Jokic? Because they just haven't. And then I'll, but like, let's say they do do that in Game Seven here, David. Well, then now you've got Lou Williams on the floor in a in a major meaningful role. That sort of could unlock Jamal Murray to have that game that I was just talking about. Like, I don't. It kind of feels like Denver's got all these things, and you were about to ask about their depth. I think that depth helps them have a lot of um, answers for whatever the Clippers can kind of throw at them. Well, I was just thinking, has this season, or perhaps it's just a bubble? kind of been more of an indictment of the building of a super team rather than the collection of depth. I mean, you look even to last year's Toronto team, and as great a player individually as Kawhi Leonard is, perhaps their biggest strength and even their ability to beat a very talented Warriors team that was going through some significant injury issues, you can't discount that. But a lot of what made Toronto so good last year in the finals and in the playoffs, and even this during the regular season, was the fact that they had this incredible depth. And now you look at teams in the Eastern Conference like Miami and Boston that perhaps lack a clear quote-unquote superstar. And while the Lakers have you know, LeBron and, and Davis, 
there's also the fact that you brought up that they're very complementary of one another and so they work well and and even LeBron to some extent has taken a more reduced role where he's kind of part now of the Lakers depth to the extent while he's a very good very excellent role player he might just be Los Angeles's role player and so you look at the Clippers and the fact that they have these two great wing players that are very duplicative of one another and they lack depth around them they've kind of been exposed in the playoffs and they haven't played that much with each other either, right? And so I think that's a big part of this is with the load management thing with Kawhi, you know, you hate to just pile on that, but that matters, right? Like when you're not Absolutely. playing games and you don't have your starting lineup and you can't build that cohesiveness that you're going to need in these moments where you look at what's happening in Denver, they are very cohesive. They know how to play with each other so well. That Jokic and Jamal Murray partnership, that two-man dance that they have, it works so well. They have such great chemistry and their chemistry is greater than anything on that Clippers roster, I would include Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell because we just haven't seen that this season like we did last year. I, I've got more recent proof about that with uh, uh, from that with uh, Denver's duo than I do with LA's. So, um, look, all of these things will just be like wiped away if Kawhi Leonard just goes off with an MVP performance and just wins this game for them. If Kawhi just picks up Jokic on one end of the floor and scores 35 on the other, then this whole conversation's moot, right? But it's just the fact that the Nuggets have done this again and they look like they're really, like, win or lose, they're in great position. They have their draft picks. They're unlike the Clippers, right? The Clippers mortgage their future to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and you can't blame them for that. But if they lose here in Game 7, then you've got real questions about what they do with one more year on their contracts. Whereas Denver, no matter what happens here, they're kind of playing with house money, I think. They're, they, you've got Jokic, who's young. Jamal Murray is young. They have all these assets. If they want to make a player move, they can do it, or they can just ride this thing out. They have a great head coach in Michael Malone. Uh, the future looks really bright for the Nuggets regardless, whereas the Clippers lose tonight. You know, you've got questions about what happens with Doc Rivers. You've got yeah. questions about what happens with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in 2021. I mean, yeah. things can get rocky really fast. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, the, the buzz from this past summer, which feels like an eternity ago now, and they're building this super team, and you question whether or not the Lakers were going to be able to work as well as they, they expected or many people expect them to be. And then all of a sudden, the Clippers have this bright future and this window of championship contention, et cetera, and now it's kind of been falling apart a little bit. And maybe there's a lot of recency bias in that kind of talk, and I get that. But at the same time, they just – I don't know. I, I get a – I don't enjoy watching them play sometimes because of that level of disinterestedness and yeah. just th this kind of disaffection as they go from play to play where they, they take whole minutes off. And, and it's just it's not fun to watch. You want a team that you view as a legitimate title contender to be able to be engaged for at least 48 minutes. I, it shouldn't take that much out of uh, you know a team looking to win a title. But maybe it's a collection of things. Maybe it's the, the lack of cohesive playing time, as you mentioned. Maybe it's the bubble affecting them. Who knows? There's so much going on into this incredibly weird and bizarre season that I, I, I seeing the Clippers fall apart probably just ranks uh, not even among the top 20 things. True. Uh, we'll take a look at who has the edge between the Heat and the Celtics next. But first, let's talk about... Rock Auto. With an ever-increasing number of vehicle makes and models, it can be impossible to stock all the parts your car will need, especially now while you may not be able to visit a traditional store. So do it easily online instead at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. 
Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything that you could possibly need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. It's not like walking into these dealerships and maybe you're getting taken advantage of because you don't really know what the difference between all these car parts are. You are going to get the same price as the pros. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you again. Locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that you came from us. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite app to listen to podcasts and always get the latest episode by asking your smart device to play Locked On NBA when you get in your car to get your team every day. Game one between the Heat and Celtics is tonight. The Heat are the darlings of the East, David, beating the Bucks and losing just one game en route to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Celtics, meanwhile, are the higher seed. They look like a team that should be the favorite, but... David, I've looked at this from every angle, and I think this is going to be a really close series, a really entertaining series between two deep teams, two chess master head coaches and Eric Spolster and Brad Stevens. But when it comes down to it, I think Bam Adebayo is going to be the most important player in this series because he's kind of that linchpin of Miami's defense. And when you look at what Boston needs to get going, they, they derive so much of what they do. Yes, Jason Tatum is, is an all-world scorer at this point, but they derive so much of what they do through Kemba Walker. And I, think, like, I don't think Kemba is going to be able to abuse Bam the way he was able to abuse Marcus Gasol in, the, in that drop coverage that, that Toronto employs. Like, Bam Adebayo is so good at just... I don't care that Kemba Walker is going to be guarded by Goran Dragic. Like, Bam Adebayo is there on that second level of defense. He could really make Kemba's life difficult, and if that's the case, he can. He might be able to to stop Boston's offense in a way that could really uh, change this series. I I'm still reeling from the fact that you compared Brad Stevens to Eric Spolstra as a chess master head coach. That is that might be that might have been the most painful moment in your podcasting history for you. So who who's was Fisher? Who's the the big the the great chess guy? That's Eric Spolstra. Bobby Fischer, yes. yes. Bobby, Eric Spolstra is Bobby Fischer. Brad Stevens is like the, I don't know, like some other guy that I haven't heard of. But like they're both <laughs> chess masters. Brad Stevens is really good. He, and he's actually done, I think, the best job coaching of his uh, Boston Celtics career in these playoffs. Like to, to get past Nick Nurse the way he did, even with, I would argue, a superior roster, um, I thought was meaningful. And I was really impressed by Brad Stevens. But Eric Spolstra, he's... They lost one game to get to this point, David, and he just he he completely stopped the two-time MVP in Giannis. Like I, I, I did not mean to make them equal, but they are both very good coaches. But Eric Spolster has been amazing in these playoffs. That's fair. And look, uh, Brad Stevens is no Mike Budenholzer, and I think that's, that's true. probably the biggest compliment he can get paid at this point. So it's absolutely not going to be an easy series for Miami, as easy as it was against Milwaukee. And not a knock on Adetokounmpo or their roster, but the failure to make adjustments during the course of that series absolutely exposed what Budenholzer does poorly. And somehow they're going to keep him. But that's a whole <laughs> different conversation for a different segment. As far as Bam and Abayo, that's a pretty good point. Because seeing him 
on defense is going to be such a question. Like, what what does he do starting off defensively? Now, we haven't seen this version of this Heat team against the Celtics, so we're not quite sure what Adebayo is going to do. And we've been talking about this a lot over the last couple of days as we try to preview the series, and I've been thinking about it as I continue to go over it. Like, there were moments there, even in the bubble, where Adebayo was guarding uh, Jason uh, Brown for a long, Jalen Brown for a long stretch of time, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's going to be the case moving forward. Now that Jay Crowder has been permanently inserted into the starting lineup, that was a rotation without Jimmy Butler, who was not playing in that game. So now you've got a healthy Heat team. You've got Crowder, you've got Adebayo, and you've got Butler, all of whom are eminently switchable, and you've got Duncan Andre Robinson. Iguodala too. Yeah, I- Iguodala. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't imagine him starting, but you've got no. three starters that are very switchable here, and Goran. And Duncan Robinson, probably your biggest weak points on defense. I don't think that they're going to be as exploitable as a lot of people seem to think. Now, Boston, to their credit, they do run a lot of staggered screens above the break. They're they were they're kind of you know they they they, they have Hemba Walker, uh, Kemba Walker in a high pick and roll, and then they have either Jason Tatum or Daniel Tice setting secondary screens for him. And then by that point, you have these you know switchable players that are going to be having to switch in order to pick up Walker as he comes off these two screens. And then you have let's say let's say Butler is guarding Tatum, and then Bam is probably going to be on Daniel Tice. Now Bam can limit what what Walker can do. That's fine. But at the same time, then you have the preliminary screen, which was Jason Tatum. Now all of a sudden, you have Goran Dragic picking him up, and then that could lead to some easy buckets. So as much as we've seen from Miami that Duncan Robinson can be used as a decoy, even if he's not knock, 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 uh, not knocking down that shot as much as he did during the course of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you could see moments where Walker might not be the focal point of the offense, but as long as he has the ball in the hand, he could be a decoy there where he could get those kind of multiple screens and then all of a sudden free up so there's a mismatch from either Tatum or Brown or somebody else. And now, as far as Bam is concerned... Who well, wait, guards- that's, a good, that's a really good point that you make there. And to Miami's credit, like they have been able to execute... Um, you know, a, a one defensive scheme against Indiana, which was basically the defensive scheme for the regular season, to switch most things, um, let your best defenders do their job. Uh, but against, you know, a team that wasn't with a star player, so they didn't have to zero in on one guy. And then you play Milwaukee, and they execute this completely different scheme against Giannis to take him out, and they do so. And then Giannis is, leaves the game, and yeah, they, they suffered that one loss, but they came back, and they were able to limit the Bucks and everything that they tried to do in that next game. So I, I trust Spolster's coaching, and I also trust uh, the fact that they have so much more time to prepare for this game than Boston did. I think that also gives them a, an edge, at least in game one. Yeah, I mean, look, that's all fair. And look, as far as Adebayo on offense, you right. know, Daniel Tice can get into foul trouble early on. I think Tice, and I think I mentioned this last week, he's a pretty underrated player, a player I like because he stretches the floor, because he's a good rim roller, et cetera. But at the same time, you know, he can get into foul trouble. And I was talking to John Corrales about this as we were previewing the series, and he brought up something that's going on through Celtics Twitter, which they call the war on Tice because apparently referees hunt every foul that he gets into. If, even if it's minimal contact, they'll call a foul on him. I'm not sure why, but that's just the way Celtics fans perceive that. That might just be a fan-based bias, but either way, he can get into foul trouble early on. And so if we're going to look for an aggressive so what happens? Bias, what happens when Daniel Tice touches... Goran Dragic, because that's sort of like the immovable objects, you know, 
<laughs> with each other because Dragic never gets any calls for him, and Tice apparently gets everything called on him. So just does, does do the referees just not even see it? Like, is it no. just invisible to them? They, they yeah, see it, nothing happening. It's a blind spot to European players guarding each other, so nobody ever Wait. even notices. Yeah, it, it just plays on, and everybody kind of says, "Where? What happened to the ball?" It sort of yes. vanished there until they <laughs> dump it into the low post or something. But uh, my point is about Adebayo, though. If we're gonna see the best version of him he needs to be aggressive particularly on offense which yes. you know, that, that's a tr- that's tricky because for him being such a focal point on offense where he makes plays for everybody else he doesn't always have to score but at the very least he should be aggressive and trying to to work bully past Tice in the low post if nothing else to get foul calls and get to the line in a way that we have historically not seen from him if he can continue to knock down that mid-range shot which we saw against Indiana and Milwaukee in the bubble so far he's been very effective at it I'd like to see him continue to do so and look to get his shot going and if that's going to be the version of Adebayo that we'll get then this could be an easier series than a lot of people expect from Miami Mm. well that's a take I I, I absolutely like that's a good point you make if he is aggressive with that shot, the way we have seen in these playoffs so far, and hitting those 17, 18 footers when the Heat need that, if he if he's out there scoring 20 plus points per game in this series, that changes so much for Miami because now you're punishing Daniel Tice. You could force Tice off the floor, which would you know I don't see Robert Williams having much of a role in this series. Grant which Williams, which would make or Grant maybe Grant Williams, but probably not. He's a rookie. You can't really trust him. Does that force the Celtics to go small with Tatum and Brown in that front court? And if that's the case, you just see Bam Adebayo barreling through those guys, maybe getting those guys in foul trouble too. If Bam's aggressive, I'm telling you, David, he's been to me the best player in the Eastern Conference playoffs so far. His plus-minus is insane in these playoffs. I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's unbelievable. Like he makes all the difference in the world for the Heat so far in this postseason, and he can make all the difference in the world um, in this series. He is, he is the X factor of Heat versus Celtics. Um, There are a ton of coaching vacancies in the NBA. We'll play Matchmaker next. This is Locked On NBA. With the Rockets and Mike D'Antoni parting ways, we have yet another head coach opening. We also have the Thunder, Pacers, 76ers, Pelicans, and Bulls. Who knows what can happen with the Clippers? They could have an opening after tonight. We still don't know what's going to happen with the Bucks. And Mike Budenholzer after ownership and Giannis met on Monday before we play matchmaker David with these openings. What did you think about that Giannis meeting? Well, I, I think it's weird that this is kind of being posted out there. I don't know. I don't know what side is releasing this kind of information to Adrian Wojnarowski. I, I think he, that's who broke it, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm trying yeah. to think of it from that perspective. Like, is it Giannis's agent saying, no, no. Adedekumpo is being very proactive about trying to figure out his future, et cetera. Or is it somebody? I think it's. I think it's ownership. I think yeah, that's what I would have thought too. Yeah. Yeah, saying, hey, look, no, we're doing everything we can. Yeah. We're talking. He's going to go on vacation. We're going to talk again. Like we're in contact with our superstar. Absolutely, them. Um, I, I don't know that it's the precursor to the trade demand that so many people are making it out to be. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised be- at that either. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it seems like whenever a star player, like I mean, the Dame Lillard meeting from a couple of years ago and Paul, the the dearly departed Paul Allen, that's perhaps the exception. Normally, right. when a star player rolls into the owner's office, it's kind of to say, "Look, trade everybody, fire this guy, let's do something different." Especially after you just get vanquished, and for the second well, consecutive postseason. Apparently, they talked about personnel decisions and things like that. So stuff's sure. happening. Giannis is saying, "Hey, go get me this player, go get me that coach, something like that." Probably this to me is more like the news in place of the not news. Like, had nothing happened, I think there would have just been so many questions about, oh, Giannis is in, you know, hanging out in Greece or wherever he takes vacation. Like, 
he hasn't met with ownership. We don't know what's happening. What is there you know, a rift between him and ownership and all these things? I think that maybe this is more of a PR thing to put that to bed more than anything. But you got to believe that Giannis has got some ideas after getting destroyed in, in the semifinals there. But um, let's move on to some of these coaching openings. I want to briefly just play matchmaker. Um, it's hard to really know with some of these organizations because you're not really sure what direction they want to go in. Like with a team like Chicago or even the 76ers who could blow things up. But um, let's start with the Sixers, because to me, or let's start with the Rockets, because with that, with Mike D'Antoni gone, they seem really interesting to me. Like, what do they do now at head coach? Like, what of the who among these candidates that are out there do you like for them, David? And if you don't have one ready, I've got a name for you. I don't like any of them, to be honest with you. I, okay. I, I think from the available list of names, unless there's some name that I have not seen as a possibility, I, I just. I think it's more about personnel rather than coaching, right? And if that's the case, that's more on the front office to make those kind of changes. If I were a potential coach, and I know this is, is you know ridiculous because, again, as we've talked many times before, there's only 30 spots available. If they're offering it to you, you take it regardless of who you've got on that roster. You're going to get paid once you get fired in a year after they fall apart in the postseason anyway unless they make changes to the rotation. But that's just the reality is that you look at that roster, there's problems there, and that's not going to be solved by any head coach. I don't know that that's true. All right. Um, look, Give I think your, they're going to need to be. Look, they've got James Harden, who's this all-world offensive player. I think that Mike D'Antoni, like, you could have a great offense without the whole math, mathematics that this team has pulled, right? Like, if you just have James Harden, that's pretty good. That's a good starting point for an elite offense. Um, I, I'm going to throw a name at you. I'm not sure it works, but it's really interesting to me. It's kind of a home run swing. It can kind of, like, just completely blow up in your face or work really well. That's Dave Yeager, who seems to burn bridges at every, every organization he's in. But every coach you talk to against who coaches against Yeager commends him for the X's and O's, tells you how hard it is to prepare for his teams, that he gets his teams to play hard and all those things. And that kind of seems to me what like the Rockets need. An X's and O's shakeup. I think Yeager, he, he has experience with some low post stuff. He's a good X's and O's guy. I think he could do some really interesting things involving James Harden and if he's still there, Russell Westbrook and some of these other pieces that they have. Um, and then, like I said, he gets guys to buy in and play hard. He holds guys accountable, which I'm not sure Mike D'Antoni did. He was very much like Boonholzer and just, you know, acquiesced to the system more, you know, for every answer. Where Yeager's just going to straight yell at a dude. And I think he could hold a guy like Harden accountable. I think it would be interesting. Like, it could, again, it could completely get set on fire and James Harden could demand that they fire Jaeger after two weeks. Or it could work. And I think he's kind of maybe the kind of juice that this team needs. That's a fair point. Um, I, I Maybe I'm not as high on Jaeger as you are. I know that you you were covering that team in Sacramento for a while while he was a coach there, so I, I understand why. Maybe you might have a much better perspective on this than I do. But the accountability factor is a huge one, and maybe if that's the kind of thing that you're looking for, then maybe a guy like Ty Lu makes sense, considering the fact that he's coached superstar players in Cleveland and helped them win a championship there. He understands what it's like to manage those huge egos that come with superstardom and certainly Westbrook and Harden possess that if nothing else. So maybe he's a good fit for that. I know that Lou is also a name that's being tossed around in Philadelphia quite a bit. And obviously with Embiid and Ben Simmons and that superstar level kind of playing the level of accountability, which was something that Josh Richardson pointed out there after their season ended, I think is a huge factor. So why Ty might be considered in Philadelphia too. I like him more for Philly, and the, the point of the game is we're matchmakers. We do whatever we want here, David. So I actually have 
I, let's put Ty Lue with the, the Sixers because I think that works really well. That would be really interesting to see. Like, who is Ty Lue's, Who does Ty Lue view as the superstar whom he needs to hold accountable? Is it Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid? Who does he build the entire thing around? Like, he built everything around or helped, you know, build his system around LeBron. Like, with LeBron, it was an easy answer, right? You have LeBron, you build your, your entire system, all your schemes around him. But who would, you, who would he build it around um, if it was between Embiid and Simmons? That, to me, would be interesting. With Jaeger, I like him in Houston because of the combustibility factor of it, and that's just wildly entertaining to me. There you go. Um, so I'm surprised he so didn't throw Jason Kidd out there, then. Too combustible. Like, that's the thing. We know exactly. How, like, there's no mystery there. We know exactly how that ends. With Jaeger, I think it could go the other way. There's at least a chance for that. With Jason Kidd, there's no chance in that. Okay. Um, do you like Kidd anywhere? I mean, we've got, Thunder, we've got the Oklahoma City Thunder, which to me, if they're going to rebuild, just go get Brett Brown. He's used to this. I don't know yes. if that's the way to go, but uh, maybe. Yes, I, I like that one. No, I do not like Kidd in Oklahoma City. I don't think no. there's any chance that happens. But Brett Brown there, absolutely. That, that I think he's got the right temperament. Who knows what's going to happen there. Um, it seems like they're likely to start rebuilding everything and trading away or finding a way of trading away Chris Ball. And if that's the case, a guy like Brown kind of makes a lot of sense. And there's a connection uh, he, to Sam Presti there, right? I mean, yeah. with Presti's ties to San Antonio, wouldn't he be comfortable hiring a guy like Brown? That's a really good point. And Brown, who is an analytics-leaning head coach, would, right. I think, appreciate Presti. Um, Indiana, them hiring D'Antoni makes a lot of sense, if only given their track record. They fire Frank Vogel to hire Nate McMillan in part because they wanted to juice up the offense. They fire Nate McMillan because that offense wasn't juiced up enough, so just go get D'Antoni. That, even though it would be fascinating to see what, the, like, what D'Antoni would do there because he doesn't have that singular talent. Like, do you just build everything around Malcolm Brogdon? Probably not. But it would be really interesting to see what he could do there. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think the na- that name seems like it's being linked to Indiana for a lot of reasons there. Yeah. Sabonis, Turner, I mean, th- do they get unlocked to some degree? I, I wonder. Um, you know, TJ Warren showed that he has the capacity to be a good scorer. Uh, maybe he wasn't that in the playoffs against Miami, but uh, at least during the eight seeding games, he certainly showed some promise. So maybe, I don't know if, if D'Antoni's capable of transforming him into a superstar, but I guess that makes some sense. Last one I want to talk about is the Pelicans because the Bulls are not that interesting. The last one I talk about is the Pelicans because they are very interesting. They've got that, that's the trio of the future. You've got Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. Who do you bring in to make all of that work? And one name I keep going back to, and I know it's been out there, but I'm not sure if it's been linked to New Orleans, is Wes Unsell Jr., the Nuggets assistant. I mean, the, he is proven, or at least within league circles, is known to be a, a, a progressive coach with, with a lot of creativity and things like that. I think that's exactly what you need right now in, in New Orleans, because it's going to take somebody creative to figure out how to make those parts work uh, to their maximum ability. That's fair. I, I don't know anything about Unsold's connection to players, uh, to be honest with you, so I, I'm not sure if that's a name that's gotten a lot of buzz or not. I, I just I look at that Pelicans roster and there just seems to be so much questions regarding so many questions regarding Zion Williamson and what his future is and what his best role is and I just don't know if a a first year head coach is the right guy so I I just that's my my feelings that you'd rather have somebody who's been through it who knows how to get players I maybe it's a boring choice and I'm sure Pelicans fans would probably dismiss it altogether but I, I think a guy like Nate McMillan, who I think got a, a raw deal in Indiana and who has mm. always gone 
his players to overperform and to play at a high level and to get to the playoffs. Like that's one thing you can always say about Nate. Maybe he's boring offensively, but if you've got the right personnel, maybe that changes a little bit. But at the same time, he's gone everybody to play at such a high level. It's the difference, I think, between a guy like Alvin Gentry, who, who my opinion of him was that he was always a little bit over his head and maybe best suited for an assistant head coaching position. But with a guy like McMillan, who's been there, who has that experience, who was a former player and knows how to connect with guys at a pretty good level, I think that would make some sense. At least that's just my take on it. No, that's that's a very fair point. Maybe you do need the guy who's going to just come in. and It depends on what you think your window is, right? Um, if you think it's now, go get the guy who can get you there. Um, or if there, maybe there's a, another uh, guy in, in the wings, like a Nick Nurse or a, you know Eric Spolster, one of these like video coordinators, super creative types, you know, super X's and O's driven guy. Not- Look at David Griffin's track record, though. I mean, he went yeah. off the wall. He, he's he's known for making strange choices as far as his head coaches are concerned, or maybe not a, your, a typical line of thinking. And if that's the case, maybe Unsell fits the bill. Yeah, maybe. Um, all right, that'll do it for us today. Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a wrap-up on Game 7 between the Clippers and Nuggets tonight and, and the uh, wrap-up on Game 1 between the Heat. And the Celtics, if you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.